You are listening to Future Voices, a podcast brought to you by Beha Futures Foundation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Futures Voices brought to you by Bosnia and Herzegovina Futures Foundation. Uh, today, we're going all the way to the West Coast, not the West Coast of the United States, but the West Coast of Canada. We've got a special guest who is an absolute genius when it comes to mathematics and absolute brilliant at teaching mathematics, too. But before we get into who our guest is today, I'd like to introduce you to Tariq Bayramovic, who's our new co-host on the podcast. It's his first podcast at the Futures Foundation. We wish him a very warm welcome. Tariq, welcome to Futures Voices. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you. It's, it really is an honor. I'm looking forward to it. And you have the honor of introducing our guest today, being that yes, this I is do. your first podcast. Yes, I do. The name of our guest is uh, Veselin Jungic, a mathematician that ran and completed 17 marathons, which is a very unlikely combination. Uh, he's a professor in the mathematics department at Simon Fraser University with more than 40 years of experience. He was born in, in Bosnia and Herzegovina. He earned a bachelor's degree in mathematics at the University of Sarajevo and master's degree at the University of Zagreb. Uh, when the war started in 1992, Veselin emigrated with his wife and two kids to Vancouver, Canada, where he actually worked at a small restaurant as a cook to provide for his family, which actually added another skill to his arsenal. He received his PhD at the Simon Fraser University, becoming a professor in the process. So as I've read, most of Veselin's research is in the Ramsey theory and the field of mathematics education. Uh, his mission is to promote the importance of mathematics in everyday life, with the target group being elementary and high school students. This mission resulted in the development of Math Catcher Outreach Program, which has a strong First Nation component that includes creating uh, learning resources in various First Nation languages and organizing and hosting educational events, events for Indigenous students. Since the mid 2000s, uh, Veselin has created four animated films about the adventures of Math Girl, and from 2010 to 2016, he co-wrote eight stories about uh, Small Number, an Aboriginal boy who sees and discovers mathematics everywhere. Uh, Veselin Jungic is the recipient of the 2020, I hope I pronounced this right, Agent Pulio Award in recognition of his outstanding contributions to mathematics education. Furthermore, he's known as Veso. Uh, he received the Canadian Mathematical Society Teaching Award and the Pacific Institute for Mathematical Sciences Educational Award. So that's a <laughs> great resume. Uh, his Veselin story is quite inspirational, one of struggle and hard work, and it is uh, truly an honor to talk to him today. On a personal note, I have to say, uh, my knowledge of mathematics is <laughs> very limited, as in I don't have any. <laughs> but uh, I, I was always fascinated by mathematicians, and it, it really is an honor to talk to and a big warm welcome, uh, Professor Jungic. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Oh, thank you both. Thank you for this opportunity. I feel quite honored. It's, uh, the honor's all ours, but uh, we want to get to know you a little bit better. We've read a lot of stuff about you uh, using various online tools, but I guess there's no better way to get to know you than to actually speak to you and ask you some very straight up questions in our icebreaker uh, section. So I'm going to start you off with a few of them, and I'm going to ask you who your biggest hero is. Well, my biggest heroes are actually my parents, really. You know, when I think about their lives, uh, uh, both of them were born in 1923. So in 1941, they were only 18 years old. 
And and when I think that the youth uh, during the, the the Second World World War and uh, everything that they went through, and uh, all I can remember now is how happy people they were. You know that uh, really really makes me honor them and 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 respect them even more now than than when I was a young man. Absolutely. And if you could live anywhere, where would it be? Well, uh, I don't know. You know, in my dreams, I'm still in Bosnia. But the reality is Canada, and this is a beautiful part of the world. During the night, I'm in Bosnia, and during the day, I'm in Canada. And that seems a combination that works for me. That's a pretty good combination. But let me ask you, when was the last time that you did visit uh, Bosnia or the former Yugoslavia? Oh, I was there in uh, 2019, actually. I convinced my brother, and my brother immigrated to Canada in 1968. Wow, that's, that's quite incredible. And I convinced him that we go together. And uh, he kind of tried to resist this because he didn't go to Bosnia for a very long, long, long time. And we went there and I think he had the happiest time in his life ever. It, everyone was so nice to us and we went to different places uh, that reminded us both about our childhood and our parents. And uh, it was a quite happy trip. Incredible. And what's your biggest fear? My biggest, I can talk about what was my biggest fear, you know, in, in, in the 92, when the war started, the fear that I felt for the life of my kids was something that uh, hope nobody experienced ever. And, and really a motivation for me and my wife to, to go to the other end of the world. If you could go back in time and meet a historical figure and have dinner with them, who do you think that would be? That would be a mathematician, Nikolai Lobachevsky. So Nikolai Lobachevsky was a Russian mathematician in, in the mid-19th uh, century, early mid-19th century. And he was one that uh, was involved in creation of so-called non-Euclidean geometries. You know, I learned about this when I was a student in Sarajevo from, from Dusan Vujakovic. But since then, I'm thrilled with the idea that uh, at that time, somebody was able to come up with that set of ideas. How come that he was able to resolve uh, a deep mathematical and philosophical issues that uh, bothered uh, the smartest people ever for 2000 years? I'm sure you would have had a lot of questions for him. There's no doubt about that. What's your favorite food from back home? Oh, my mother was a wonderful cook, you know, and uh, uh, the way how she was making uh, uh, rizzy busy, so rice and, and peas, that was, that was the best meal that I ever had. Professor, I have to interrupt. I, I ate rizzy busy today. <laughs> oh, you are just making me jealous, you know. In your honor. <laughs> well, with the latest news of Amazon now operating officially in Bosnia in full flight, I'm sure that uh, Amazon Prime might be able to deliver some, some of that specialty <laughs> to Canada. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, on that on that note, talking about laughter, what makes you laugh the most? You know, that is that is one change that uh, life in Canada uh, uh, kind of brought to my life. I got uh, uh, to be a big fan of Seinfeld, and I don't know how many times I watched each of those episodes, and I laugh all the time. Also, I uh, life in Canada introduced to me stand-up com uh, comedians and comedy, and and I love that one also. I want to know what your favorite part of Bosnia and Herzegovina is. Oh, that, that is uh, uh, the village uh, uh, where my grandparents used to live. The, the name of the village is Budimlić Yapra. And uh, 
uh, that if you think about Sansky most and Bosansky Novi, uh, that is uh, in the middle, that's right in the middle. Uh, so it is an, in the middle of nowhere in some way. But uh, every summer when I was a child, I would spend a month there with my, my, my grandparents. And that was both the happiest time. And it's a, just a beautiful part of Bosnia with the Yapra River there, with the valley, Yapra Valley there. And, with, uh, and when, I, when I close my eyes, I, I go there. I've got another one on my to-do list. I don't think I've been there before. I've been around there before, but I don't yeah. think I've been there specifically. Yeah. So thank you for that one. And last question, what's the best gift that you ever received? Oh, the best gift. That, that is kind of easy to, for me. So Tarek mentioned that I got in, involved with this Mad Kacher outreach program, and that really made me travel across British Columbia. And during my travels, I visited the Tlami Nation. And that is one of the first nations here on Pacific uh, West Coast. Uh, their, their traditional territory is uh, just uh, uh, north from Powell River. And uh, when I went there in the evening, they asked me to meet with the community there. And uh, I showed them some of my activities. And one of those activities was to make uh, how to make a Mobius strip and how to explore some of the properties of Mobius strip. And the next day, I visited the local elementary school. And uh, during my break, uh, uh, my teacher, who was my host, said, uh, oh, you got a gift. And the gift was a Mobius strip uh, woven in a traditional way from the uh, cedar root made by Sosan. And she was one of the participants of this, of this uh, little workshop that I had the day before. And it was just uh, unbelievably well done. And still it puzzles me that she was able to make some beautiful, something beautiful like that in a, such a short period of time. So we finished our workshop maybe eight o'clock in the evening, and this was 10 o'clock in the morning next day. And, and I think that is my most precious possession at this point, that Mobius strip woven in a traditional way by a, a member of the Tlami nation. I was searching for your biography online, but I couldn't find where were you born. I know you were born in Bosnia, but yeah, I was way? born in Banja Luka. In Banja Luka. Ah, Luka. Yeah. Ah, okay. So let, let's find out why you became a mathematician. I think that's always a question that we like to kick things off with because people are inspired normally by something in their life. Uh, what was it that inspired you to become a mathematician? Well, I was always good in mathematics. You know, my 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 father was math and physics teacher, so mathematics was always kind of uh, somewhere around me. But since I can remember, mathematics came easy to me. And when I, when I was about to graduate from high school and I went to uh, uh, Gymnasia Ognjen Pritza in Sarajevo, uh, when I was about to graduate, you know, my dad wanted me to be an engineer. My mom wanted me to be a, a, a doctor, a, a physician, but I couldn't stand and even now, I cannot stand even thinking about blood. And at that time, all engineering drawings were done by hand. And I was never good with my hands in that way. So I said, Mom, Dad, I love you, but I'm going to be a mathematician. So it was, and it was an easy, easy decision for me because mathematics was always uh, close to my heart. Not that I knew actually what I, <laughs> I was getting into. But you studied at the University of Sarajevo for a bachelor's yes, degree. Can yes, you describe yes. your, your experience uh, in, in that time as a student? So we started with maybe 120 uh, freshmen, uh, uh, math majors. And uh, 
I have only good memories from, from my experience from the University of Sarajevo. Some of these professors uh, are, are really people who shaped me both, both as, as a person, as an intellectual and as a mathematician. For example, Mahmoud Barakhtarevich, he was teaching mathematical analysis at that time. I think that uh, what is now called mathematical thinking is something that I got from, from his classes. Uh, Kalmi Finci was teaching uh, linear algebra, the kindest personality that you can think of. Or, or Dushan Vujakovic, he was teaching, he was teaching uh, geometries. He introduced this idea of non-linear, non-Euclidean geometry to me. And, and that is still, uh, I think, one of those moments, aha moments, when you realize that mathematics is much more than, than just a, a bunch of techniques. Fikret Weizel, such a, such a uh, teacher and such a mathematician. Or, or, or Radomir Zhivkovic, he was teaching something that <laughs> maybe Tariq, you never heard about. Uh, Eddie, yeah. I don't know if you ever had I hope chance. I have. As an engineer, I should have. <laughs> <laughs> but I probably did. Not such my geometria, you know. Oh, so, I did. That was the thing I, stirred, I steered clear from <laughs> as much <laughs> as I could. <laughs> So, so th there was there was a, a, a group of, of fantastic mathematicians and fantastic educators, and of course Naza Miller and 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 Harry Miller, and of course uh, Professor Veselin Peric. So so it was it was such a group of professors. But I also I have to say uh, among my 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 friends and, and my in my generation uh, there were some excellent mathematician. And that is something that really puzzles me about Bosnia. So much talent, so much talent for mathematics in a, in a relatively small nation. And, and I have to mention my friend Halilovic. Uh, he was uh, just a genius, a genius mathematician, 18, 19 years old. I, I still remember how much, how much uh, respect he was getting from everyone. It was an incredible generation of uh, young mathematicians at the time. And I'm glad that you touched on this topic because I've been fascinated by the stories of essentially the pioneers of modern education in Bosnia-Herzegovina. I've been fascinated with the topic for a long time as a hobby, looking at the transition between the, uh, let's say, period of the Ottoman rule to the Austro-Hungarian rule and then to the first and second and all the other Yugoslavias that came after that. But that modernization of education brought with it the ability for everyone to get an education. And you were in that generation where you were taught by some of these great names that we can read about today. You mentioned a fair few of them. Now, from what I've also heard, uh, obviously, your father was also in mathematics. And uh, your father was taught uh, by Professor Vera Schneider in 1944 in what we called back then the free territory during uh, World War II and the uh, occupying forces. Can you tell us a little bit more about your family's connection to Vera Schneider? Because we're fascinated with, with uh, Vera Schneider as, as an individual, as a pioneer in mathematics, along the many names that you've mentioned before. Yeah, I mean, she was, uh, she was uh, really what <laughs> here in Canada would call today an elder at the time when I was a student at, at, at uh, University of Sarajevo. And I still clearly remember her, her image walking uh, uh, down that, that hallway. She, she taught the course that was called classical mechanics. And uh, that was the hardest course that, that people would take. 
so she passed away just uh, before <laughs> it was my turn to take that course. And, uh, and uh, uh, so, so she wasn't my professor, but I still clearly remember the date when her casket was brought to what was called PMF. And I remember seeing it. It was a, a solemn moment in, in my life and in the life of all mathematical community at the time. If I remember my stories, my dad's stories correctly, she was also involved in teaching this group of, of uh, uh, young men and women who were trained to be teachers in what was, you mentioned, Slobodna territory at that time. I'm, I'm quite sure that my dad told me that story, that uh, uh, she contributed to his education in that way. And I, and I think that he was visiting her uh, later when I was a student at the University of Sarajevo. I think that uh, she met with her, that my dad, he met with her. But for sure, for sure, she was one of the leaders of the mathematical community at her time. Yeah, but she was also, I mean, reading about her, she was obviously a great mathematician, but I think she did so much for women's rights as well at that time. I think she was the first dean of the Faculty of Philosophy. Was the Department of Mathematics back then uh, at the Faculty of Philosophy or did it uh, separate? Uh, that was long before my time. Mm -hmm. uh, I started my studies at the uh, University of Sarajevo in 1973. And in 1973, uh, the Department of Mathematics was part of uh, uh, the Prirodno Mathematiski Fakultet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so, and the, uh, uh, the faculty had several departments. The Department of Mathematics was the top floor, and we were kind of proud of that. <laughs> but uh, there was a Department of Physics, Department of uh, Chemistry, Department of Biology. I think that was that was it at the time. Yeah. And in those early days, obviously mathematics and how mathematics is taught has changed so much. And I've been fascinated to watch how education has evolved. I mentioned that earlier on. Uh, many people say that great mathematicians are poor teachers of mathematics because they're so consumed by solving the problems that they're involved in that they focus less on how to effectively teach others about mathematics. Was this ever really true from your perspective? And what has changed over the years? Because you've been in mathematics for a very long time. So again, my experience with my, my uh, professors from Sarajevo was just excellent. I, I admire still, I admire each of these uh, people that I mentioned. Uh, uh, moving to North America was, was uh, uh, quite and started when I started teaching in, in, in uh, Canada, this is a quite different experience. And, and to answer your question, in short, it is a mixed bag. You have, you have excellent researchers that are excellent instructors also. But also you, you have mathematicians really that uh, uh, are not able to communicate uh, uh, their knowledge and their ideas with others in a way that one would expect. No. For me, when I taught the first course here, the biggest, the biggest surprise was that uh, uh, I needed to earn respect from my students. Uh, back home, our professors were gods, and, and it was enough for them to start talking, and everyone was quiet, and they got full attention and, and full respect. Do you think it had anything to do with you being a foreigner at that time? No, I think it's a different, uh, different culture. It's a just a 
you need to deserve respect from your students. So how did you so how did you go about doing that? So arriving, you know, in Canada and then building your career uh, in a different country, how did you go about building respect with your students uh, in the early phases of your career? That reminds me about another experience. You know, uh, I was driving back in Bosnia, but I needed to uh, uh, pass the test, driving driver's test here in Canada. And I failed my first test, you know, I, because I was driving the same way that I was driving in, 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 in Bosnia. That didn't go well with, with my, my uh, Canada, uh, my examiner in, in Canada. So I needed to take a few lessons really to, to learn how to drive by following uh, uh, Canadian rules. Th that's the same thing that I did with, uh, with uh, my teaching. Uh, after my first course didn't go as well as I was hoping, I took several workshops and I started talking to other people and to really learning how to present mathematics in a way to get uh, students' uh, uh, attention and respect. I also wanted to ask you, because you were you, you finished your bachelor's degree at the University of Sarajevo and you got your master's degree in Zagreb, am I right? Mm -hmm. That's so, right. And when the war started, you went to Canada and you became a PhD student there. So uh, I just wanted to ask you, how do you compare these experiences? Because you were a student in two different countries, actually. So what was the experience of being a student like in Canada and being it in, in Yugoslavia at that time? Uh, th that's an excellent question. Thank you, Tarek. Uh, uh, so let me try uh, to, to explain. First, you know, I started, the reason that I got involved in PhD was uh, that was, I was told that was the only way for me to get back into mathematics in Canada. Uh, my master's from Zagreb didn't count much really in, in, in these Canadian math circles. Uh, so I was working for, for a few years. I was working in my brother's restaurant as a cook. And it was a really, for my wife and myself, it was a difficult decision to give up on, on, on some level of security and, and to start uh, uh, with the life of, of full-time PhD students with two small kids, with no income, you know, that, that, or relatively small income. That was a, a difficult decision. And I still remember clearly that some of my, my friends from Bosnia, kind of, they were shaking their heads as like, what are you doing uh, to, to, to replace uh, a certain level of security with something that was a complete unknown. But we decided to go this way. And, and what I remember now was that uh, being a, a PhD, a mature student, I realized that going to school is a privilege not something that just uh, uh, comes as you write. And I have to say, I enjoyed being a PhD student very much. And I was uh, <laughs> one of my, uh, later we became good friends and colleagues, uh, 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 Professor Peter Borwin at that time called me my senior student because I was much older than anyone else at that time. Uh, but uh, the, the, so that was the difference. You know, the PhD program was, a privilege for me, but at the same time, hard work. And of course, I, I continued working uh, in the restaurant for a couple of nights to make enough money to support my family. Yeah. But it was it was a big commitment and big risk and big adventure. It paid off. I, I would like to think so. 
Yeah. And also one, one thing that, that was part of this, uh, uh, to be able to, to, to manage our lives, uh, we moved to a student housing, my wife and, and our two sons and myself. So, and my, my sons were small at that time. My, my older son was, what, maybe nine years old. My younger was seven. Uh, and, but they got those four years of living uh, on, on a university campus in an international community. And I think that was uh, the best that we could do really for, for their uh, uh, development at that moment. At that time, they, they, they got this early experience with the university environment, both in this academic way and in this international way. I loved reading some of your uh, work. That you, you write a lot of reflective work as well. I've read a few of your articles on, on the web and you shared something with me the other day as well, um, an article that you said you were inspired by Abdullah Sidran, a very, very famous uh, Bosnian poet. And the article is called, What Are We the Sum Of? And in this article, you essentially reflect on your development as a mathematician and also your teaching philosophy and how many people really influenced the direction that you went in uh, in the end. And I'd just like to read one little part of it because I think it's very important for others listening to understand how you go about uh, teaching and how you go about if you're teaching philosophy. So it says here, a possible set of words and phrases that describes my approach to teaching is love, respect, trust, being knowledgeable, systematic, confident, and precise, teaching through storytelling, and we'll come back to that, hard work, being always on time, always fair, always academically demanding. So those two uh, sort of you know, play off against each other. Teaching big ideas, building a constructive relationship with learners and teachers at all levels, very important aspect of, of, of teaching. Educational scholarship, making complex ideas personal. And the last one, listening to my students. And I had to read all of these out because I sometimes feel that much of what you've listed here is totally ignored by a lot of academics in the world because we sometimes feel like we're stuck in a rat race where KPIs are the key to success in life. And yet your article here really reflects on the most important aspects of what a good teacher, what a good uh, academic mathematician should be. Uh, can you talk us through you know, how you were influenced by all these people to become uh, the great teacher of mathematics that you are today? Well, thank you, thank you, Eddie. Uh, so, first about Abdullah Sidran, his his uh, 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 collection of poems, Sarevska Zbirka. Uh, I I think that I read it in in the middle mid seventies. Was probably one of the most influential uh, 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 books that I ever read. You know, and and uh, if if I think about about uh, poetry. Uh, that that really kind of uh, played an important part in my life. Then that is Sidran with his Sarevska Zbirka. Uh, uh, with the teaching, teaching is a is a complex human activity, and and uh, this realization that the teacher is also a learner all the time. I think that is something that is difficult to to accept. That after so many years of teaching something that you are still learning and there is so much still to learn. That is, that is I think, uh, a complex idea and something that not everyone has interest and, and time and maybe capacity. 
maybe capability to accept. And and I, I feel really fortunate that uh, I see myself still after all these years uh, as an instructor, as a learner. And uh, in that way, my students are my best teachers, really. I love that. I, I think that's so important that you uh, stated that because often it's overlooked that uh, you know this teaching and learning relationship. It's bi-directional and it's continuous, and uh, it's important for someone like yourself who's achieved so much in life to openly say that because it shows to students that uh, no one is all-knowing <laughs> in any sense uh, in uh, in the teaching world. So that everyone makes mistakes and everyone's still ready to learn. So. I really just wanted to emphasize how important that statement that you just made was, even for me personally as a young academic. Yeah, but uh, I, I have to say also, you know, when I talk to my colleagues about this, and 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 this is a really my view of of teaching, uh, that not everyone agrees, you know, because there is a there, there is this uh, misunderstanding that if you say that you listen to your students, and that you see your students as your teachers, that means that you need to do whatever your students uh, want you to do. No, no, you have your principles, you have your views, you, you, you have your ideas. But I also think, Professor, when you take a stance like you did, where you emphasize the importance of uh, sort of a reciprocal interaction between the student and the professor, I think that the, the behavior of the professor towards the student changes. I think it even becomes less formal, which for me at least, uh, it increased my self-confidence, it, it made me more secure in the academic context. So I think that's always the right way to go, I feel, as a, as a student, former student. Yeah, I, I, I get that from many of my students. Yeah, yeah uh, I'd like again, I'm sorry, I'd like to take you back to the educational system, which is something I, as, as Eddie said, very, I'm very interested in it, especially since I'm fresh out of the university, I finished last year. Uh, but I was wondering as well, you, you've, you've been a student and you've in two different systems, not just two different countries, but two different systems as well. Uh, and then you've been a student and then you became a professor as well. What do you think is the right approach uh, in education generally? Uh, do you think that the relationship between a student and professor should be less formal? Uh, do you think that, uh, yeah, th that's my question basically, because I, I always had a, took an issue with formality. Uh, I always felt a bit inferior when I talked to my professors. And uh, I wanted to know, what do you think about it? When I think about the relationship with, with my uh, professors, uh, both in Sarajevo and in Zagreb, uh, there was not much relationship. You know, I was a good student, so I got their respect. But yeah. really, I didn't ask much and I didn't expect much from them. You know, they would right. give me my tasks to do and I would do them in the best way that I could, and they were happy, and that was it. But here uh, in Canada, uh, I met, uh, part particularly during my PhD, I, I met, for example, the Borwin brothers. Maybe Eddie, Eddie, maybe you heard about Jonathan Borwin. He was a professor yes. at the University of Newcastle. You know, I had a privilege, really, uh, 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 to, to collaborate with him, and uh, both as a student, in, in, in the uh, late 1990s and early two, 2000s and later in his life. And, and I also call him friend. But Tariq, just the fact that as a new PhD student, I was able to talk in a friendly manner, manner yeah. in a collegial manner 
with the people who are really the leaders of mathematics, the world mathematics at that time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think that without that kind of relationship, that kind of help, uh, uh, the opportunity to ask for an advice, that I, I, would, like I would be be, be here today. You know, mm-hmm. without without a friendship, really friendship, with the uh, uh, Peter and, and Jonathan Borwin, and again, those are at that time they were the top mathematician in the world. That opened up for this Bosnian who hardly spoke any English at the time. And since we're talking about uh, education again, I'd like to go maybe to a very important topic, something that's uh, been troubling many of us for quite a while. Uh, I'm sure you know about uh, the PISA testing, basically the Program for International Mm -hmm. Student Assessment, which tries to comparatively look at how students are performing across various uh, subject matter across the world. And uh, in the latest testing, Bosnia and Herzegovina performed very poorly. And there are arguments for why that is and how, how actually accurate that measurement is and so on. And uh, many of us always reflect on the really good students that we come across in the big cities. So Sarajevo, Banja Luka, Tuzla, maybe even Mostar. But we forget that the country is also made up of a lot of smaller schools in uh, much less privileged parts of the country. And this is also true for large countries like Australia and Canada as well. Now, you've been involved in teaching some Indigenous communities and doing some outreach work and so on. What do you think uh, in that experience we can learn from and perhaps apply in Bosnia, not from an Indigenous perspective, but from an outreach perspective of getting children in rural parts of the country uh, excited about these careers in mathematics and other areas, but also just making sure that we lift our game when it comes to PISA results? I can talk. I can talk about uh, uh, my experience here from British Columbia, uh, and 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 it could be it could be you know that this is a universal uh, uh, challenge that uh, uh, mathematics and mathematicians face at this time. You know, uh, one of 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 those those eye-opening moments for me was when I visited a, a school, elementary school in a rural area of British Columbia. And I was uh, doing my workshop in a grade five class. And at the beginning, uh, th- this, this uh, uh, boy uh, uh, said aloud, I hate mathematics. Grade five. Grade five here in, in British Columbia is, let us say, 10, 11 years old. And, and the fact is that this is not the only kid that at that age already has a, a strong negative feelings against mathematics. Actually, one of the reasons that I do this outreach activity is that I would like to give to to these very young learners a positive experience with mathematics. So we need need to do something to resist this uh, 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 negative attitude towards mathematics that builds up very early, from very early age. And I think that could be easily true in, in any part of the world. And part of this, part of this is also during my travel, uh, to, travels through British Columbia, I see teachers who are assigned to teach element, particularly elementary uh, uh, grades, early grades, that are simply afraid of mathematics. So you 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 have this 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 uh, uh, fact of life at here at least here in British Columbia that you have many of these teachers that are teaching young kids mathematics and that they're really not secure in their own knowledge of mathematics. 
So if we want to address this, I think that we need to invest in teachers. We need to find a way how to teach these teachers first to understand mathematics and then how to teach mathematics. And I think at least in this part of the world, that is a, a, a big challenge. Here in British Columbia, we even have high schools in which mathematics was taught by people who have no experience with learning mathematics. Yeah, the, I, this question boggled me a, a long time and, and I finally have an opportunity to, to ask an expert. How much do you think talent is important in mathematics? Is, is there any talent there or is it just work basically? <laughs> it is both, it is yeah. both. You know, I, I had a privilege to work with some extremely talented young people, you know, Jacob Fox. I had a privilege to, uh, that he published uh, 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 his first paper uh, with me. Yes, this is the paper titled Rainbow Arithmetic Progression and Anti-Ramsey Results, which you co-authored with Jacob, Mohamed Makian, Yarek Nesetril, and Radosh Radocic. Jacob, when he was 17, he was a volcano of ideas. Daniel Krala, young Czech mathematician, genius. Oh, Halilovic from, 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 from Sarajevo, genius. Yes, I think you're referring to Armin Halilovic, who is now a big famous professor at KTH, Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm. But those are exceptional people. So there are very talented young people that are able to understand deep mathematics at very young age. So just going to put in the hard yards and... Uh... You should be able to get on top of it, which again goes back to that question that I raised about these PISA testing results. And Tariq very, very much asked that question. You know, if it's not talent, then it's hard work. And with extra hard work, you can make up for the lack of talent in some areas. Of course, what makes someone, uh, you know, a top of the top of the food chain when it comes to mathematics is really talent and uh, hard work. But for the rest of us, as you mentioned, the uh, hard work can really you know, help elevate us in that sense. So what advice would you give actually for teachers in Bosnia and Herzegovina who are essentially struggling with resources? How can you be, I say in many ways, resourceful without having all the resources? Are there creative ways to get people excited about mathematics without having a government that's pouring cash into, into teaching? Yeah, you know, Eddie, you made me think about my mother. You know, she was a, she was a, an elementary school teacher uh, from 1948 all the way when she retired in in mid 80s. You know, and uh, what she gave to her students was her heart, her passion. And I think that our hearts and and our passion make up for at least some resources. So I think that that is really. Uh, this this necessary condition to to be a teacher of mathematics. We need we need to build a passion. We need to find a way how to transfer our passion for mathematics to our students. We need to be imaginative. We need to learn ourselves. Passion for teaching, commitment to your student. Uh, those are necessary conditions to be a, a good teacher. They are not sufficient. I, I have to, to, to mention a, a, another friend of mine. His name is Salim Malikic. And he was actually from Tuzla. He was born in Tuzla. He is maybe in his late 20s or 30s. He completed his PhD in computing science here at Simon Fraser. He was one of those genius young people, an incredible talent. But in our conversations, I discovered that he is a long time uh, math problem solver. 
And actually what, so he decided to go in, in computing science, but he, he kept uh, being involved in, in math problem solving. And there, there is this uh, uh, journal, uh, Crux, uh, that is uh, published by a Canadian Math Society. And he said that he was a long time uh, 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 admirer of this journal. What I'm trying to say is, so you have this genius computing scientist with this lifelong passion for math problem solving. And that math, that passion comes from early age when he was introduced to this by his teachers. We live in this time of internet with many, many uh, resources, maybe probably too many, that are freely accessible. Maybe that is one way how teachers can, can build passion towards mathematics with their students. But for sure, Salim is one example of somebody who went through this uh, uh, system, uh, educational system in Bosnia and Herzegovina relatively recently, and who achieved the top of the world. You know, Professor, I, I, agree, I completely agree with you that we need to invest in our teachers and educate them as much as we do our students. But sometimes I wonder how much does it come to the institution as a whole? For example, I studied psychology at the Faculty of Philosophy. And my experiences at the Department of Psychology were positive. I had great professors, everything was in order. But what demotivated me was the paperwork and the bureaucracy that existed within the Faculty of Philosophy. And I, I saw glimpses of, uh, of, of education in Netherlands. I studied there for the Erasmus Exchange Program. I spent some time in Syria as well. And Eddie, obviously you can attest to it, you have so much experience as well. It's, it's so much relaxed for my experience in Netherlands, you didn't have to worry about the paperwork. You just worried about the, your studies. And I think that's such a relief when you compare it to what we go through here, in my opinion. Now, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but I presume it's the same as in Netherlands and other parts of the world. You are absolutely right, Tarek. You know, you 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 are absolutely right. <laughs> you, you reminded me about the, how much time I spent in lineups at PMF as a student in front of Yeah. Exactly. You know, oh my God, to get right? a thumb. <laughs> you know? PTSD coming. <laughs> I guess yeah. that, that paperwork is uh, eventually going to change in Bosnia and Herzegovina. I think we're lagging in that, in that particular sense. Uh, I do have to say, we're slowly running out of time with questions. It's uh, been quite fascinating listening, listening to some of the answers here and also. Uh, the historical context and then it's going. Maybe just to finish off, uh, Professor, we'd love to get uh, some advice from you for, we have a lot of young people listening to this podcast, but given, given uh, your experience in broad uh, teaching uh, philosophy as well, what advice uh, do you want to send to young people, but also teachers uh, in Bosnia and Herzegovina who are listening to this podcast and always wondering about those resources which we spoke about what advice do you want to send them in terms of your teaching philosophy and what they can learn from that? For students, I would say follow your heart. Follow your heart. If you want to study something, if you want to commit to something, follow your heart. That is, in my, in my view, the best way to, to be happy. And, and the happiness is, is the, I think, ultimate value of, of our lives. Uh, for, for, teachers, for teachers, I would say something similar. Love your students. Respect them. Give them space, support them the best way you can. Share with them your own passion for this, your subject. Share with, with them your own life story, if you can, in an appropriate way. Don't forget that you are a role model for your students. 
keeps keep learning, keep learning. The world around us is changing so so quickly. And if we want to be teachers to our students, then better if if we learn as much as we can about the world around us. I don't know how they sound to two of you, but uh, I guess my, my message is love. For students, do what you love. For teachers, love your job regardless to all obstacles and love your students. Professor, I just want to thank you. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I wish we had more time, but maybe sometimes when you, when you come back here, we can, we can talk more. Okay. Well, thank you to both of you. I hope, I hope we meet. They meet again. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we want to conclude the Futures Voices podcast uh, for, for this fortnight. There we have uh, Professor Vaseli Njungic, an absolutely inspirational mathematics professor who puts, as he said, a lot of love into his teaching. He's very passionate about his teaching, and that's certainly reflected by the numerous awards he's received and by the great feedback he gets from his students. Obviously, thank uh, Professor Jungic again for joining us on this podcast. Wish him all the best with his work, and we look forward to hosting him the next time he comes to Bosnia-Herzegovina. Goodbye, everyone.